We'll be following Willie Moore and Moore. Back in the NRL. There's Willie Mays. That's forgotten how big Willie actually is. Perhaps the presence of Willie and the Panthers looking at his imposing frame. I'm a 25 minute man. Oh, you got skills, son. Uppercut right hand by Big Willie. My life could be described as uninteresting, Will. And so when that's I you, that's what you put out to everyone. That's well, yeah. that's that's exactly what I'm putting out. My life is made more exciting, however, by the black book, mm. the famous Willie Mason black yeah. book. Well, I've just been diving into it the last sort of month because, you know, we had, you know, Boyd Corden, I thought he's great. He's Australian captain, New South Wales captain. And then we've had Minicello, Sam Burgess. Um, who else did we have on? You can't, your black books are big, can't remember. And, and, and then I just thought, like, we might just start talking out of rugby league, you know? Like, let's, you know, let's start getting into, in, into my black book because most of those guys, are, they, they're mates. I can just ring them up and we go for a coffee and all that sort of stuff. But I just thought, you know, we'll get Johnny Stefan. You know, Joel Parkinson, you know, James Magnuson. I've become friends with him through Body Science. Shout out to Pico and the G-Man, always looking after us. But um, I met him like about four or five years ago, right, when he was in his peak and all that kind of stuff. And I just, he was a real interesting sort of bloke. He wasn't just a guy that was, he had no, who had no substance to him. He was a guy who was, he had a drive, he had a personality, which obviously Australia sort of turned on him at the end of the, at the, end of the day. But like, he's an interesting cat, man. Like, and he's on the same sort of wavelength and, I think maybe he wishes he played rugby league at the end of the day. Well, he's a big unit. He's, he's a phenomenal huge, swimmer. Have you seen him? He's a like phenomenal he's about, swimmer. Yeah, he's a freak. So let's get him on the phone, get right. that big black book of yours right, out, man. and uh, give him a call. Um, yeah, we've got James Magnuson on the phone now, one of the legendary swimmers. Um, what's going? On? What's been going on, mate? Not much, big fella. Just cruising through this uh, lockdown and staying out of trouble. Yeah, how you been keeping busy, man, honestly? Um, I started up a new business actually, so um, kind of noticed that a lot of people were posting on social media and um, talking to me about trying to get their hands on gym equipment. So me and a couple of mates started a new company. Um, we're in the gym equipment business, oh, really? so it's been pretty wild. But um, yeah, it's kept, it's kept me busy for sure. Mate, I had a look at your – I did a bit of research because it's all about research on this show. We're very important. <laughs> but, um, mate, I had a look at your Instagram page and what about the rig on you? It's if you're selling rich. gym equipment, I'd need – can I just buy it and look like you? You are ridiculous. <laughs> I think people really get scared. The first time I met Mags was a couple about, I don't know, probably three years ago and we are doing a cooking thing for body science. I was like, how fucking big is he? Like, he's about six foot six. Like, you're a Port Macquarie boy. I know that. When you were younger, Max, like, did you ever think about playing union or league? I know you're a Bulldog supporter and everything like that, rugby league supporter, but fuck me, you'd look good in a lock jersey with the Wallabies, I reckon. Yeah, I, I played league right up until I was 18, so I pretty much stopped playing league because I made the Australian swim team. Um, oh, wow. yeah, Port Macquarie all, Sharks? Yeah, all my junior footy was the Port Macquarie Sharks. Um, played, played fullback when I was younger and then moved up to second row when I was older. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, loved it. Um, always yeah. dreamed, always dreamed of being a rugby league player, but um, swimming kind of um, picked me. Okay, well, uh, how, how did you go with swimming? Mean, swimming is honestly the most brutal sport in the world, from I guess a training perspective, and from there, there's so many things that go into being a swimmer. What when you say swimming picked you, is that because you were just performing so well that it just basically meant that that was where you ended up? Yeah, it just it came a lot. It came a lot more naturally to me. Um, swimming's quite um, 
quite easy in the fact that it's um, very objective. So if you win a race, you go to state. You win at state, you go to nationals. You win at nationals, you're on the Australian team. Coming from Port Macquarie, it's bloody hard to get picked in any sort of um, football development squads or try and get yourself into SG ball or anything like that. So for me, swimming was a very easy pathway. Um, I felt natural at it and, and it kind of gave me um, a way to, to build a career, I guess. All right. Um, let's just always ask some of the most of the athletes. So I just say we feel like 14, 15, 16, that's when I started thinking about what I wanted to be and, and how focused I would be on rugby league and how much I wanted it. You at 15, 16, you said you were still playing rugby league, but you obviously were a, an elite swimmer. Like which, how did you, how did you, those crossroads, when did you select swimming to go full time? All right, I'm done with rugby league. I want to be did you did you focus on winning Olympic gold? Did you focus on just being in the Olympic team, or just like what sort of what were your goals in, and what were you focused on? Yeah, so again, it's a bit hard coming from Port Macquarie. Yeah. So we only had one pool in town, and the pool closed uh, between April and September every year. So I could only wow. train <laughs> half the year. Um, so a couple of times when I was younger, I got picked on Australian youth teams and was going away to compete in June and July, and I just hadn't trained in three months. So. Um, it, was a, it was a weird situation and um, nobody from Port Macquarie had ever made an Olympic Games. So every time I kind of said in front of everybody, oh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind being a swimmer, like I wouldn't mind going to Olympic Games, everyone used to shut me down pretty hard and say, you know, it's not possible. Um, you, can't, you can't do that coming oh, from a really? country town. Um, so for me, you know, I, I kind of used swimming as a way to um, – first of all, it got me a scholarship to university. So that was kind of a way to, to get out of Port Macquarie. Um, but it always kind of seemed a distant dream. Um, I always had it in the back of my head that I'd love to be a swimmer. Um, but the other thing about swimming, when you go to these competitions, every second kid in Australia swims during school. Like there's a million kids at these competitions. So there's always a bigger fish in the pond and, and it always seems um, quite unrealistic. So probably wasn't until I was about 18 and I made this the uh, Commonwealth Games team that year that I actually started to believe that, um, you know, I, I could make a, a proper living out of it. It's funny too because I swam when I was a kid, you know, one of those every second kid who swims. And we yeah. had a kid at school that, I swam with him at club as well, and he was just a freak, you know, like he was just a, such a good swimmer. And, you know, we, we were in relay teams and won state medals just on his back. And he went all the way to the Sydney Olympic trials and came fourth. And so yeah. missed out on Olympic spot in 2000. So he'd basically given up, you know, 15 years of his life to, to that level of training, to that level of dedication. And it's not like he's a household name, but he was the fourth best swimmer in Australia. It must be very difficult that fine line between making it as a swimmer and thinking, am I going to just keep going and doing what I'm doing and maybe not getting to that level? Did you ever worry yeah. about that side of it? Yeah, probably more so the people around me worried about that more than myself. Um, so at 18, I kind of dropped out of university and put all my eggs in one basket and just said, stuff it, I'm, I'm going for it. And uh, a lot of people – have asked me since like, oh, looking back, you know, what was your plan B? What would you have done if you didn't become a swimmer? And uh, the, 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 the truth is I quit everything and for me it was swimming or bust. Like I had no plan B and that was part of what drove me 
in those early years of my career to be so successful was if I wasn't swimming, I was probably going to be, um, you know, moving back to Port Macquarie and just bumming around. So, you know, I put all my eggs in one basket. I didn't give myself a plan B and I really um, went all out on, on making a career of my, out of myself. But um, for every one story like mine, there's, you know, there's, there's 10 stories where things don't go so well. And a lot of my mates that I've swum with over the years didn't make that Australian team, didn't didn't um, kind of catch that break. And, um, you know, it, it is a pretty tough lifestyle to maintain when you're not getting paid and you're not representing your country and you're not getting any sort of um, support out of the sport. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of um, hard luck stories out there as well. Did a lot of them come out of the AIS though? Or like were you ever thinking about going down and, and getting in those sort of programs or that wasn't an option for you? Yeah, so so when I finished, uh, when I was sort of finishing school in year twelve, I had a couple of options. I could have come um, to Sydney and swum um, at, at university. I could have gone to America and swum in the college system, or I got offered to go down to the AIS on a scholarship to Canberra. Um, and I went down to, to Canberra and trained for about a week. I think I, it was meant to be a, a longer trial or something like that. I went down to Canberra and I just said, "I'll never." live and train down here i hated it with a passion <laughs> they, had all these, they had all these rules like you're not allowed out of your room after nine o'clock you know no alcohol no going into the girls rooms all these rubbish things and i was like no nah, this is not the lifestyle for me let's <laughs> just um let's talk about the focus and the training like always we always um i've always known a couple of really good swimmers and they just think the training is so monotonous and crazy like let's just talk about like how you were training in just say 2010, you know, 2011, we're leading up the world champs just after Commonwealth games. Like what's, what just run us through like just your ordinary day leading up to the Olympics. What sort of training were you doing? What's what numbers were you pushing out and how hard were you doing it? Nutrition wise, like mentally focus wise and just training, just the amount of work, just run us by a day if you can remember. Yeah. So a normal day, it'd sort of be wake up about five 30, get to the pool by six, then you sort of spend half an hour to an hour on land at the pool, um, getting through all your rehab, prehab stuff, warming up, um, do a bit of mindset stuff sometimes at the pool. Then you spend probably two and a half hours in the pool. Um, a normal swimming session for me would be anywhere between, say, four to eight kilometres. Wow. Um, it's a mix of things on different days. So, you know, same as most sports, some days you do endurance, some days speed, some days power, some days skills, all that kind of thing. Um, straight from there over to the New South Wales Institute of Sport. So this is in Homebush. Um, then we do things like ice baths, massage, recovery, all that kind of stuff. Then hop out of there, have something to eat, do a couple of hours um, in the gym. Um, again, that can be a mixture of things, either strength, endurance, power, those kind of things. Um, eat again, head back over to the pool, do another couple of hours in the pool, um, finish in the pool, then do a bit of a debrief for the day, a bit of a stretch and a, and a cool down, um, and then sort of get home um, at, at night time that night. So wow. it's uh, – it's a full-time job, um, which I think a lot of people, they see the Olympic Games and they think, oh, this guy only swims two laps. Like, there can't be that much that goes into it. Mm. Um, but because it's a sport where every country in the world invests quite a lot of money and time into it um, and there is a bit of prestige in Olympic Games, you know, you think the two 
main events at the Olympic Games are probably the 100 metres running yeah. and the 100 metres freestyle and swimming. So um, because of that, you've really got to um, tick all those boxes and make sure you're getting all those 1% that's right because there's people all around the world that will um, you know, overtake you if you don't. Yeah, well, let's um, let's talk about your lead up to the Olympic Games. I actually had to like um, Google you today, and just because amount someone was talking shit about. You. Oh, geez, he said a lot of smack before the com- before the Olympic Games. I was like, oh, really? Yeah. I didn't. I don't really remember because I remember being here in Australia and everything like that. Like, I yeah. honestly don't think you were that cocky. Like, you were just that yeah. fucking good at that time. All you were doing was saying the truth. I'm like, what the fuck are they crucifying this kid for? You're a 19, 20 year old. I look at it and just going. Fucking oath, he should say that. He's just blasted yeah. everybody. He hasn't lost for like 12 <laughs> or 13 races. You just won the world champs, your commonwealth, everything like that. I don't yeah. understand. I think it's just Australian. It's just the way the Aussies sort of, we build you up so fucking big and you fail and they just want to make you the worst fucking person in the world. Like, how do you feel yeah. about all that shit? I mean, I don't think you're hit with, hit with that brush at all. I think you're going to go down as one of our greatest swimmers. But like, where did you get that confidence from leading up to the – to the Olympic Games, was it just you just speaking the truth? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, I mean, day to day life, I'm pretty laid back. Obviously, I'm from Port Macquarie, so yeah. I've had a pretty humble upbringing. The the difference is, and um, you see it a lot in the track sprinting at the Olympic Games. So, if you want to be the best in the world at the Blue Ribbon event, like if you want to really be the number one swimmer in the world. You've got to have you've got to have some swag, man. Something. Yeah, you, you really do, and it's it's hard to explain unless you've been there. And like you know, it, you couldn't walk out um, for kickoff at State of Origin and think I'm not good enough to be here, and yep. then go on and have a good game. You've got to believe that you're in the right place, that it, that you belong there, that you're the best to perform your best. Yep. Um, and that's just magnified so much in a sport like swimming, where you can't rely on anybody else but yourself. So for me, that previous year to win the world championships, you know, I, I did have to instill a certain amount of belief in myself that, that I was the best. But, you know, I was still only 19 years of age. So yeah. a, a big part of it for me was I couldn't go anywhere at that time um, without people telling me how good I was. Yeah. And for sure, as a 19-year-old kid, if you pull any 19-year-old boy up, and spend six months telling him that he's the best and every sort of interaction he has um, backs that up. Yeah. It's, it's hard for that not to then seep into some of your, 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 I guess, conversations with the media. But even looking back on it now, I have no regrets about it. Like the media asked me, I just won the world title. I hadn't been beaten in, you know, a couple of years or whatever. And they asked me, do you think you're going to win at the Olympic Games? Mm. And I just honestly said yes and if i was in that exact same position again to tomorrow i'd say the same thing yeah so, you know i expect to win why would i be out here training my ass off 30 hours a week if i didn't expect to win did would the 16 year old you have have been the same like did you have to find that confidence or did you just find it as you started winning and you started to get to a point where you've started to be the best that you then Probably. took that on yeah, a little from column A, a little from column B. Um, you know, it, I have a strong belief and whenever young swimmers or, or young people who have ambitions in sport ask me for advice, um, I kind of tell them a similar thing and that's I never won a race in my life that I didn't stand on the blocks before that race and think I can win this race. So you've got to bullshit yourself a little bit sometimes yeah, too. Like yeah. you, you might stand up on the blocks and be looking at the guys next to you 
and, and being a bit worried. But by the time you hear that starting gun, you have to believe that you can win that race. And if you don't, then the race is over. So I had to build up that self-confidence myself to, to, to get to the top of the world in the first place. But then you've really got to maintain that confidence and that bravado, particularly um, you know, at, at, at a world stage if, if you want any chance of winning. And, and that's where you know, some people in, in the media and some people at home get confused between confidence and arrogance. Yes. But you, you just can't win anything if, if you're not confident. And then if you don't win it, people will say that's not confidence, it's arrogance. So totally agree. It, it, it's a bit of a lose-lose as an athlete. Yeah. You're, either, you're either confident and successful or you miss one and, and you're arrogant. Um, so, you know, it, you kind of – it's part, it's part of the game, but for me, at a really young age, that was a huge learning curve and, uh, you know, something that was pretty tough to, to swallow at the time. Let's just talk about, like, you on the at the 100-metre final. Like, I only look at – like, I love the Olympics and I love the 100-metre final in the sprints and I love the 100-metre final in swimming. And you've been on the blocks there in that final, lining up. You've done all the qualifiers, and it's been such a hard hard road to get there, world champs, Commonwealth Games, all this sort of shit. And then you're finally there, and all this fucking pressure's been on you for like two or three years. Like, what were you thinking right at that end? Like, right, I mean, yeah. right just before that whistle blew. I think we've talked about this uh off you know off air but like i'm really yeah. interested in in your mindset before that what, what are you thinking is it clear-minded or is yeah, it just clear. fucking fully focused for me it's always trying to bring it back to process so what are the things i need to execute in this race to get my best result that olympic that olympic final was the hardest one i've ever um i've ever found to try and maintain that focus because it was almost like a bit of an out-of-body experience and i kept kind of getting pulled out to thinking about how many billions of people are watching this worldwide. I remember yeah. the stadium itself, it was the biggest stadium I'd swum in. I think it was about um, 25,000. But what happens when you put 25,000 people indoors yeah. in a pool, It the sound is deafening. Like it's something different. Whereas a stadium, it's open it's open air and, yeah. and a bit of the sound gets out. Um so I kept getting um, I kept getting drawn away from that concentration to what was going on around me and having to try and bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. And it's something I look back on, you know, at um, the twilight of my career. I was like, wow, I've really, you know, now I'm 27, 28. I've really got the tools to deal with that environment. At the time, at 19 or 20, I probably didn't. Yeah. But it's one of the things I'm most proud of looking back on that race. I actually swam – um, a really good race that night. Yeah, I got beaten by um, the, the least got, amount got, that you could get beaten by, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Fuck, but, but so it's like a draw for fuck's sake. Yeah, that oh. time that I swam would have won any other Olympics in history. Even the following Olympics yeah. in 2016, it still would have won. So I'm actually pretty proud of that race and, and how I handle myself. And uh, you know, it's it's a pretty surreal experience. Um, I've probably never been. Um, I've never had to fight so hard to maintain that concentration, but um, you know, it's looking back on it now as a more mature person and athlete, um, it's pretty understandable, and I kind of, um, I'm, I'm pretty proud of, of how I handled the whole scenario. Can you watch the race back now and be proud of that, or do you look at it and you just think if I'd have, you know, if I'd have stroked a little bit more in that 
section or if I – like do you critique it or are you just proud of what you achieved? Because you really uh, should be proud of it. Yeah, I've never watched the race back, to, but, but to be honest, I've never really watched any races back. It's just not something um, – like we – it's it's – I guess similar to football, like we'll, we'll do some video sessions on stuff and we'll look, sit down and pick apart a couple of bits of the race. Um, but, I've, yeah, I've, I've never really watched the whole race back. Um, the only time I've ever watched any of my full races replayed to me is if I do sort of um, speaking events or something and they play, and they play, play some in the in the reel. But, yeah, it's, it's not something I've ever really done much of. I think, um, you know, because you live through it and – and you feel those emotions and you soak up that atmosphere, it's kind of weird watching it back. It doesn't really feel the same. Um, it's, it's probably something, again, given time, um, you know, something I'll look back on uh, really fondly. But, um, yeah, in the moment, uh, we didn't – I never dwell on that race too much. Um, I remember at the time um, I knew kind of my first race of that meet that I was a little bit off, um, and that just that happens sometimes. You just rock up to a swimming race and you're not uh, a swimming meet, and you you haven't um, got your taper right, or you, you know when you're in Olympic Village, you eat different things, you sleep in different beds, you're in a different country, like everything's just tipped on its head. And I, I kind of got the feeling at the start of that week that I was a bit off, but um, I felt like I pulled it all together pretty well for that race, and so. I don't dwell on that race and say, what if I did this? What if I did that? What if I stretched out this a little bit longer at the end? Because I know in my, you do, in my head, in my, yeah, yeah, I know in my head that every race I've ever swum, I've given everything I possibly could. Yeah. I've never looked back on a race and said, oh, I didn't really have a crack there. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's a 100-meter swimming race. You know, It's not like I have to maintain concentration for hours at a time. Yeah. I, I know most races that I've ever swum, I've, I gave it my all, so I don't dwell on it. Um, let's talk about post Olympics, post career. Um, I see a lot of footballers post football. They suffer with a lot of depression. They don't know what they're doing after football. Um, Swimming Australia, you're part of a team, but you're it's pretty much an individual sport. You know do, what sort of um, what sort of protocols do they put in? Have they done anything to to look after you guys? Because I know a lot of people after swimming. They've had a couple of setbacks, like in the last, you know, 10 years, yeah. some of our great swimmers. Um, what do you put that down to? And, like, did they put any structure in there, like Swimming Australia, or do they just go, all right, use by date, see you later, see you later, next <laughs> yeah. one come up, next one come up. Do they have that mentality or are they trying to put some sort of some sort of uh, program in place or education or something where there's life after after swimming? Yeah, I think I think they're starting to try to do that. I, I think the team sports are definitely leading the way in in that um, sort of area. The, the tough thing about swimming is, you know, yeah, we're a part of an Australian team, and when people yeah. see us on TV, we're all wearing yellow shirts together. But um, I actually didn't train with any of the other people on the, the Australian team for most of my career, so um, you know, I don't even know a lot of them that well. Um, yeah, so that's what I mean. It's a, it's a team thing. in so, inverted commas, whatever. Yeah, it is. It's a team in inverted commas. But um, so when when you retire, another problem with swimming is there's such a production line of young talent in Australia that they don't really have to dwell too too long on the uh, on the recently retired. So mm. there, there wasn't a lot of systems in place um, in that way. Um, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time speaking to people in the sport and um, leaning on anyone for support because 
Um, you know, it's it's kind of a new area in swimming um, that they're trying to establish, but hasn't really been done yet. Um, so for me, yeah, it was it was pretty tough. Um, I, I guess that the thing I found the hardest, um, and I kind of knew during my last race or, or in the lead up to my last race that it, that it was going to be just that. And the thing that I kind of miss the most and I find the hardest is the um, the crowds, the excitement, the adrenaline that you get um, from live sport. That's that's the one thing I miss. The training, I'll be happy never to train for swimming again in my life. Um, I've spent that much time in my own head swimming lap after mm. lap, so I don't miss the training at all. But the competition I definitely do miss and there's some days that, you know, um, particularly when, when um, races are on TV or something or the world champs or something's on TV, I watch it and kind of think, ah, you know, I do miss, I do miss that adrenaline rush a bit, but um, just, yeah, just on that. A, sorry, mate. Yeah. Just on that point, there was a period of time where swimmers were absolute rock stars. You know, if you talk just before yeah. the Sydney Olympics and all the way through basically to your, the 2012 and even up to 2016, they'd put yeah. Australian titles on TV. Swimmers were literally everywhere you know what i mean yeah. and it seems to have dropped off from that is that do you reckon that's results driven like that we haven't had um, superstars in 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 the pool over the last five years yeah there's a couple of reasons behind that the first one i think i got pretty lucky i was probably at the tail end of that um but there's two main factors that that i see that um really killed swimming so we went from channel nine uh, to 1HD. So we were one of the first sports to sign with 1HD when they announced that it was launching yeah. through Channel 10. So we went from prime time, 7.30, they'd have our nationals with Ray Warren commentating wow. to um, 1HD kind of uh, on replay at 8.30 at night. Then that became a kind of variety channel. It wasn't even a sports channel anymore. So it got pushed even later. We were on after MASH reruns at like 10 p.m. at night. So that was the first nail. Yeah, that was the first nail in the coffin for swimming. The second nail was um, the sport got really worried about uh, its reputation and maintaining sponsorships for the sport as a whole. The relationships um, in Swimming Australia, you know, became strained. We had a change of administration, and the one thing that I noticed from the start of my career to the end was all the personality got drained out of swimming. And yeah, I was right. probably I was probably at the tail end of that in that, you know, I, I did show a bit of personality. Yeah, I had my fair share of um, controversies throughout my career, but um, I think people in some way or another were able to relate to me, whether yeah. they loved me or hated me. They had, they had an opinion on me. Yeah, for sure. And, and nowadays you talk to people about, oh, who's your favourite swimmer at the moment? They say, now they're like, oh, oh there's no fucking characters. Did you get that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They say, oh, you know, they don't even know a lot of the swimmers today. No, Whereas at least when I was swimming, some people would say, oh, you know, I love love James Magnuson and I love, you know, the missile. And, and some people yeah. would say, oh, I, I hate him. Yeah. But at least, at least they – It makes they you not sit him. on the fence. Just like, oh, I fucking yeah, love him or yeah. I hate him. That's it. Yeah. And, and I, was always, I was always really content with that. If, if someone said they hate me, I'd say, oh, better, better that you hate me and know who I am than yeah. you've never heard of me. So – that's the problem with swimming today. They're, they're very safe. Everybody's – the athletes are having the personality coached out of them. Yeah. Everything we do I think that's society, training. isn't it, Mags? It's society, yeah, isn't it? it like is, you, yeah. you talk about rugby league or any sort of sport, you know, they always talk about the, how they want these characters back. But once these 
people actually start stepping out of their own shadow and being themselves, they just get fucking cut down. So that's just yeah. the way things are in sport now. And it's just, it yeah. sucks. And that's from swimming to rugby league to AFL to everyone, everybody. And we're only talking within 10 years. This whole yeah, switch has happened. Right. So this whole PC world and all this kind of bullshit is just killing most sports. But um, you've, uh, you've had 15 major international medals. What has yeah. been your biggest... Well, I mean, what's your biggest achievement? Obviously, I'm just thinking Olympics, but I mean, like you've done some marvelous things here. So, what's your the world champs, the yeah, Olympic games, mainly Olympics, or the the big one for me was um, so I won the world champs in 2011, um, became the first Australian to do that, and so that yeah. was pretty exciting. But then 2012 missed the Olympic, like didn't win the Olympic games, and that was a bit disappointing. Obviously, copped a lot of shit for that back here in Australia. So going into that 2013 World Champs, there was a lot of pressure on me um, to perform again. Like some people were saying, oh, you know, he can't perform on the big stage. He couldn't win the Olympics, this, that, the other. So there was a lot of pressure and expectation going into that 2013 World Champs. So to win that 2013 World Champs and go back-to-back World Champion, um, you know, I was the first Australian to do that. I was one of only three swimmers in history to do that. So that was probably my biggest uh, achievement. And probably the, the the biggest race of my life was probably that 2013 world title. Um, everything after that 2000 world title, 2013 world title was just tracking really nicely. Like I just went from strength to strength those next couple of years um, and I was – Looking the best I ever had, I think, probably 18 months out from um, the Rio Olympics. Um, but then I had to have a shoulder reconstruction. And, you know, as is the way with sport, you can't kind of pick and choose when you get injuries. But um, that, that kind of cut short, um, you know, a lot of my plans post that 2013 World Champs. But for me, looking back on it, that was probably the peak. All right, well, that's good. Mate, man. You, I mean, one thing is you're never defined by your sport and you've got to, you know, the rest of your life now to, to do other things and to make your mark on, on the world outside of sport. So we'd really like to thank you for joining us, mate. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. No, it's been great, guys. Thanks right, for having Mags, me. Mags, I've got like one last question. Yeah. Uh, Olympic Village, is there, yeah. is there any such truth to all the rumours that we hear? We had John Stephenson on last week saying that <laughs> It was a. He wasn't. He was. He was just giving us a PG sort of um, rating. But I mean, you've been to two Olympic games. I mean, yeah. this is, does have to include you or anything like that. But I mean, like, is it as yeah. fun? You know what I mean? Like, is it fun? Like, yeah. you get to meet other other people. You get to meet other athletes. You get to chop it up. You know, like. But you guys yeah, swim sure. first, isn't it? You get swimming. You're out of there in two weeks, man. It's a six yeah. week. That's a six, six six week marathon. I'm just trying to put this shit together. Yeah, so it's pretty good for us swimmers. So John Stephenson's probably had different experiences to me, but so we finish, we swim for ten days, yeah, and then we're done, and we stay in the Olympic Village. So London was awesome, like they yeah. had great nightclubs and stuff, and so we partied probably, um, you know, two weeks straight, pretty much. Um, <laughs> all, all the sponsors have parties, all the biggest nightclubs have parties. Like we were going to parties that had the all the Dream Team there. Um, nice. Usain um, you know, your famous tennis players. So it's a pretty big party scene afterwards. Um, but the, the thing I'm always like, I feel like I missed out on a bit from everything I've heard from people that have been to multiple Olympics. Everyone says the best parties at any Olympics were at the Sydney Olympics. Oh, that's what Johnny Steph said. Yeah. yeah everyone <sighs> raves about it. They reckon they, they booked out huge warehouses in Homebush and stuff for huge raves. Jeez. Um, 
Yeah. Um, Home nightclub was the place to go. Home nightclub was where the athletes went, mate. That was the go. Yeah. Well, apparently Bill Gates was here and he had his yacht in Sydney Harbour and people were going for parties on that. Damn. So many crazy (laughs) stories in Sydney. Yeah. And then you would have got the nerdy little 2012 all social media fucking Rio and then Rio as well. So anyway, I'm pretty sure you had some fun. So, mate, I appreciate your time, Mags. And uh, we'll catch up uh, post this show. Not this show, but like maybe next week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Appreciate it, Mags. Thanks, mate. Legend, brother. See you, mate. We'll be following Willie Moore and Moore. Back in the NRL is Willie Mason. I've forgotten how big Willie actually is. Perhaps the presence of Willie at the Panthers looking at his imposing frame. I'm a 25-minute man. Oh, you got skills, son. Uppercut right hand by Big Willie. Too fancy for you. You've been listening to The Take with Willie Mason and co-host Ian Byrne. Produced by Craig Trewick, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker of Green Room Sydney, and presented by the Handshake Media Network. 